horse hockey. I knew it was because they were afraid to be in the dark cargo compartment on the aircraft that was rumored to be haunted. They wanted to be able to see that door at all times. Pretty cool. That that about ball six went that model aircraft. Yeah, my hair started standing <laughs> up as I'm telling this. I'm like, oh man. You're listening to the MPI Paranormal Podcast, where the truth is to be found. A podcast exploring all things paranormal, hauntings, UFOs, crypto, the unknown. Our members believe in the skeptical approach, but with an open mind, just trying to make sense of it all. I want to get back in there, try to figure that out. It is the unknown. I don't really have a say on it right now because I don't We're, know what the video looks like. Well, I'm looking for the evidence. What's the evidence? A story to me is not really evidence because that's one person's experience. And I do. I take my personal beliefs into it, but like you said, then I have my skeptical side that right. wants to prove it another way. Military Paranormal Investigations is not affiliated to any branch of the military. It's time. Coming to you from North Texas on multiple platforms for maximum reach. Here are your hosts, members of the MPI team. And welcome to Military Paranormal Investigations Radio. My name is Rob. I'm Jeff. And I'm Mike. Allison couldn't be here with us today, but uh, she's here with us in our thoughts. That's yeah. right. We kind of gave her a short notice. This kind of popped up. We needed to take care of a little business today. Just so. a little bit, you know. And It's been a while since we had one out there, and we want to get another one out. But yeah, we want to make sure we keep the content going for you guys, which, speaking of, you can always find us at militaryparanormal.com or on Podbean, and I think I've gotten pretty much every major... I think you did i really podcast player yeah. yeah you can pretty much find us anywhere just type in military paranormal podcast some of them that are quite new you may have to add the investigations i know i've got us back up on stitcher now mm-hmm. uh, iHeartRadio, um tune in all of those places so if you've got a different podcast player you want to listen to but again we always recommend podbean because right it is our host as well you, you can also find us on facebook and we're on instagram now yep you can find us on twitter and YouTube. And YouTube. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. Don't forget so, about YouTube out there. All right. So, guys, what uh, what are we going to talk about today? Well, we kind of talked about this a little while ago when we were doing the uh, haunted dolls. And we right. were talking about doing, like, haunted vehicles. Right. And we took it one step further and decided, since how we are prior Air Force, why not talk about some haunted airplanes? Okay. Sounds good to me. I, um... I know we've got, we talked about it in our last episode. We do have the gen episode coming up. Right. Uh, but that'll be out here next. I want to make sure Allison's here for that one too. But so that will be coming up. But I think we've got some good airplane stories. But what have you guys been up to? Um. Well, just uh, work. How was your <laughs> had, Thanksgiving? Oh, good Lord. Thanksgiving was not really Thanksgiving for me because I actually had to work <laughs> on oh, yeah. All Black, Black Friday. Friday yeah, but it's not Black Friday anymore. It's really Black Thursday yeah. because <laughs> everyone starts so yeah. early now. Yeah, I literally had to be at work at 3 o'clock that afternoon. And wow. we, we didn't open until 5, and then we stayed open until 1. I mean, it was hectic. We had people lined up around our bi- building and stuff just trying to, wanting to get that special products. Wow. So, yeah, Thanksgiving for me really didn't happen. Well, I, no, I can't say that because... I got up at six o'clock that morning to cook the turkey for everyone. <laughs> wow. So we had one, and then uh, when it was all said and done, I got my plate and said, "Sorry, y'all, you can you can eat when you're going to." But I just started shoveling because I had to go. Yeah. <laughs> How about you, Mike? Uh, it was good. We had uh, our families got together, and then my uh, sister-in-law's family came up from down around the uh, Louisiana area. So we had seventeen people in my house, which was good lord. Quite wow. Fun. We had tables set up in the living room. And yeah. It, it was it was good times so though. We all had a good time. So good. good good food. So good. What about you? Yeah, we uh uh family just went over to the in laws house. They live here in town and uh we just went over and ate and drank and had a good time. You got to drink. I didn't get to drink. I did. I didn't get I to had drink. a beer. Oh, I didn't get to have one. I mean But other than that, yeah, it's just been work. I finally got 
actually worked Thursday, then worked Friday, then worked Saturday. So this is my day off, but I work again tomorrow for Cyber Monday. Oh, boy. Yeah. Fun, fun. And that's what happens when you go to work at a great electronics store. You know, everybody wants electronics. Oh, for yeah. sure. We got a, we've been busy ourselves here. We've had final wrap-ups on our last case, and uh, it's a lot of stuff going on. But hopefully you guys will enjoy this podcast, and I think we can kind of start getting into it. Right. Yeah, and just to let everyone know that because of the haunted, it's not going to be like a normal podcast where we know firsthand knowledge of these aircraft. We're actually going to be reading a lot of information that we found through the research. Yeah, there's a story that I want to tell that was yeah. actually put up by a, a Facebook follower. Uh, he kind of sent me a link, and I got on there, and I think it's probably just best to kind of tell it in, exactly. in, yeah, in that's... his words because it, it was a great story. But unless you're looking for it, it's kind of hard to find. So. Right, right. So, yeah, go ahead and start with that one. Um, well, you want to start with that one, or you want to start with... Uh, let's, you want... let's start with a ghost 401. 401? 401, all right, cool. Well, ghost of 401, flight 401 uh, was an Eastern Airlines... Star Jetliner, it crashed in the Florida swamp in the Everglades. I believe it was an L-1011, which I don't know about anybody else out there, but in the military, a lot of contract flights run on things. And yeah. Like horrible. So, yeah. Um, and you were telling us before we started this that you actually remembered that yeah, crash. Yeah, I, uh, this happened in, in the Everglades, and I live just south of the Everglades, so this was 1972. I'm going to give my age a little bit. But, uh, yeah, I was... Uh, down there, and I remember this being a big story at the time. Wow. They, um, I guess it just had like a very small mechanical problem, like some instrument lights were burnt out or something. They didn't right. catch a reading, and that's actually what caused the crash that they found it. But it did a absolute nosedive into, into the, the swamps. Yeah. There's a lot of um, documentaries out there that talk about the crash and what caused it and that sort of stuff. There was actually a real similar crash here a few years ago where the lithium batteries were in play and that was kind of a similar deal. Yeah. Hmm. But, um, but anyway, it crashed. Um, there, there were the two pilots, they were Bob Loft and Don Repo. And they were two of the 101 people that, that perished on the, on the, the plane. The, Right after that, the, the crash happened in 1972, but in 1974 is when the first paranormal ha happening started coming out. And you mm -hmm. kind of think, well, how did how did this happen if it crashed into the Everglades? Right. They actually, you know, airplanes, they, they scavenge parts off airplanes all the time. Right. Mm -hmm. So even after they recovered that and the investigation was wrapped up, they actually used some of those parts on other aircraft to um, keep them flying. Right. The... Um, there's actually a couple books and a movie that was yeah. written about it. It's it's probably the most popular haunted airplane crash. Um, I was just reading here that the one of the there's a website called Flight 401. The Black Box Story provides an account of the crash as told using material from the Black Box. It talks about how a poor cockpit resource management caused a tiny bulb to distract the pilots and bring down the aircraft. So it's kind of crazy that that happened, but um. All from elect an electrical failure. Yeah, from like a light bulb failure. Wow, that that I didn't read up too much on this one. I read up on the other one that I'm, we're going to talk about, but well, that sounds pretty interesting considering. But, you know, I'm going to throw this out here, and we'll I'm, we're going to go into further on the story. But I guess my thought, you know, being prior Air Force and being aircraft maintainer. Yeah, you're right. We did reuse a lot of parts from, mm -hmm. from different airplanes and things. But I guess my question to you guys would be, what do you think allowed that paranormal activity to stay within those components that were transferred into another airplane? Why, why do you think that is? I thought maybe because, you know, if they had an error, maybe they're just trying to tell their message. Okay. Um. Or maybe they were, maybe they were really fond of that type of aircraft, so they kind of stayed. And then that connection with that energy being transferred to them yeah. allowed that to, to come back. I um, I really don't know. I don't. I don't know why. I mean, you think about you know if they used a, you know, a small, two inch piece of something on a, on right. an airplane, why would mm. something go to that? But yeah, okay. I was just curious about that. Well, that's almost like the. One of the aircraft that I was looking up on the the B twenty nine that we're going to talk about later, 
it, it basically has the same concept of different parts on that aircraft. So which part was actually right. haunted? Yeah. yeah. So right. you, you never know what it could be attached to. Right? Yeah. That's why they always say the theory is that an object can have an attachment from some sort of right. past energy. Sure. Sure. Okay. Well, one of the stories comes from there was a uh, an L-1011 passenger plane that had been fitted with the, some of the salvaged parts. And the flight engineer was carrying out his uh, his pre-flight inspection, and he saw repo appear to him and say, "You don't need to worry about the pre-flight. I've already done it." Um, uh, and he knew it was repo, or just well, you know. And the the story that I read don't necessarily say that. However, it talks about later on, and I was trying to. There has been the airline won't talk about it, but there's been many documented from pilots, engineers, stewardesses, passengers. All of these instances where they come out and people that do know them and they're just kind of dumbfounded, like, holy cow, you know, what just happened here? Or somebody will describe it and then they're like, that was him. You know, that that was whichever one of them it was. Hmm. You know, one of the stories I was reading here uh, this morning that I found interesting, it says one female passenger made a concerned inquiry to a flight attendant regarding the quiet, unresponsive man in Eastern Airlines uniform sitting next to her, who subsequently in, disappeared in full view of both of them and several other passengers, leaving the woman hysterical. She was later shown a sheet of pictures, and she pointed out the uh, engineer's repo. Wow, I... That would have been kind of freaky. Can you imagine that, sitting on a plane, uh, seeing the, a person next yeah, to you, and, and then all of a sudden you're like, they're gone. There, there's a small story I'll tell after this that it really kind of freaked me out. But, yeah, that's that's kind of crazy. There was another one where a flight attendant, um, she um, she observed a man that was in a, a flight engineer's uniform, he, and she later identified them as repo. He was fixing a galley oven. Um, the The... The plane's own engineer said that he had not fixed it, and then there had not been another engineer that was around. And then so that kind of backed up the evidence that, hey, she saw somebody that was fixing it. Um, and then he was also seen below that area by another flight engineer that that he had heard some knocking, and he went down there to look and had seen that one. But it seems to be that repo is the one that's really right. more or less seen a lot of times. Yeah. Um, there's been sites where they see them looking out um, looking out of the oven, so there's been a couple of sights of that. They're like you see the face in the glass. You know how. Okay, so a reflection of the face, not actually in the oven. Right, right. Okay, I was so about like to say looking out of the oven. The I was like, oh, uh, nope, I ain't cooking nothing in there. Yeah. Nope, not happening. And then they, he's also warned them to watch out for the fire on this airplane, um, and it, that was that was witnessed to many different people. Um, like three in that particular instance, there was three people that that he. He, they heard him say, watch out for the fire on this airplane, which that, again, kind of what I was talking about earlier, maybe he's trying to warn them yeah. of a faulty part. Again, you know, now looking back, and again, I wasn't a L-1011 maintainer, but anytime I was ever on one, it always seemed to have some serious issues. So maybe they were trying to warn us of what was going on. But that was on a different plane, but the parts were used from from that plane. So did that, did that plane ever catch fire? Um, It... Did encounter some engine trouble, and okay. then it had to have the last leg of its its flight um, grounded and, and rescheduled. Okay, that's interesting. Looking at all these different stories, are people seeing them on different Eastern Airline flights, or yes. is it one flight that they're noticing all this? It's a uh, it's different flights, multiple flights across different deals, and I believe that I was reading it's on Eastern Airlines, but I believe it's also been reported in some other. Really, aircraft that had been that was necessarily out of the airline that had gotten some of the stuff, and then they reported this to the flight safety. Uh, all the sightings were reported to the Flight Safety Foundation, which is like an independent uh, review. Yeah, and um, it says they were given by experienced and trustworthy pilots and crew, and they considered them significant. Um, the appearance of the dead engineer repo was confirmed by the flight engineer. There's another one. Um, Eastern Airlines boarded a Miami-bound T-Star at JFK and spoke to a, a uniformed captain sitting in first class. And then 
that one, one of the vice presidents, it happened to be one of the vice presidents from Easter Airlines, recognized the captain as being Captain Loft. Mm-hmm. And then when he went back to see who it was, it was gone. Yeah. The, the, the figure was gone. Yeah. That was the only one that I saw with Captain Loft, but that, that was that was pretty good. Oh, no, there's another one. Um, well, it says here, too, that um, Repo appeared to a captain one time and said, there'll never be another crash. We will not let it happen, which that kind of goes back to what I was talking about earlier about the safety. They're trying to protect people from whatever's mm-hmm. going on there. Well, and then there's that other story. It's kind of similar to the other one I talked about. A female passenger found herself sitting next to a flight Eastern Airlines flight officer who looked pale and ill but would not speak. So she called over to the stewardess, um, but before her eyes and several other people, all of a sudden that image disappeared. Yeah, that's the one of the ones, and that was seen by um, passengers and the crew. Oh, yeah. Wasn't the other one seen by passengers as well? I think there's there's been many instances. Many instances. Okay. Many instances, yeah. So, I mean, it's their way of just... You know, letting them know they're there, and and uh, you know, I mean, you think about it. I don't know how long they had been flying, but you think about things that we do. You know, when you do something so repetitive all the time, right? In yeah. our lives, you know, you're going to, I think, probably do that afterwards as yeah. well. Yeah, you know, and I don't think it's a. I think it would have to almost be intelligent because how would you get? a pilot repeating something from a different space and time and you know what I mean? Right. So, so I, I don't know. It's a little, um, well, little even different. the engineer, both of them have to be intelligent haunts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, uh, this is any further, and this is from that one website. It says any further research, um, by the well witnessed incidents was hampered by the airline company, which it completely refused to cooperate with any of the paranormal investigators. Wow. Mm-hmm. So it's, but it's probably the most well known. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, the and I lost my train of thought for a second there. Anyway, the, <laughs> <laughs> there, there was a. I was telling you guys earlier there was a um, another story kind of a, of a deal like what Jeff was talking about earlier. There was a, a flight attendant that went downstairs to prepare beds for people on this flight, and she, when she was down there, she was talking to this male passenger and he's talking about. Um, she was asking why he was down in the restricted area, and she's like, "Oh, I'm looking for my wife, and she's, but I, you know, I'm worried about her. She's upstairs in this seat or whatever." And then, can you go tell her that I'm okay? Uh, that you know, I'm down here and I'm okay. So she he went upstairs um, and found the man's wife, and she was telling him the story. Hey, your you know, husband's down here, but she was completely shocked because her husband was in the belly of the airplane in a in a coffin for transport. Uh, as he had already been deceased. That was on one of these, or no, that's no, that, just that another was, story that, that you. Another story. That, I was, that'd be. Hey, anyway, I saw that one and it made me think. Yeah, that'd be pretty freaky. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Okay. Is that, is that in on the? What are they? Loft and repo, and that's the flight. Forty-one or four hundred one. No. Four hundred one. Okay. Okay. So. What's our next story we want to go into? Do you want to do the C-141 or do you want to do the B-29? Why don't you lead us into the B-29? All right, the B-29. Um, when I was doing my research, I just typed in haunted aircraft and didn't even realize that there was a B-29 that's on static display down at um, a retired Air Force base. Uh, I, I think it's Castle. Castle, yeah. Castle, yeah, Castle. Air Museum. Mm-hmm. And there was a B-29 that was brought in, and I found it on one website that I didn't even realize I was looking into the other one that I found. But there was a uh, gentleman that used to talk with a bunch of, he had a ceramics teacher. And he he didn't spend any time in the military, but his ceramics teacher spent time in World War II and stuff like that. And he would have a bunch of uh, other buddies, and they would go out to this place in California and do air show judging. So they would look at old aircraft and judge the how well they looked and if they fly and stuff like that. So he started talking with him, and he convinced him, hey, let, let me come along with you because I'm really interested in this. Yeah. And this guy was an old uh, Morse code uh, operator. Uh, he he was really really good with Morse code. I mean, he could 
understand it. He was one of the whiz kids, what they say. And he went back with them, and this was in the early 70s, and he went back with these guys, and they were telling all their war, war stories, and one of them told him about this B-29 and how certain people have seen different things with the B-29. And they were like, oh, well, it's at this museum right now. And they're like, yeah, and you, you should go check it out. He's like, oh, okay. One of the things that caught his attention was that stories happen that people hear Morse code coming from this aircraft. Mm -hmm. And the funny thing is, there is no electronics on this aircraft anymore. None. Everything has been ripped out. All the wiring's been ripped out. Everything. And it caught his attention that I, I would really like to, you know, see if we can go and try it and get to see if we can find out what the Morse code is being done. And they're like, well, well, we'll see if we can get it this, this weekend while we're here for the air show. Well, that didn't happen. It happened the next week, and the ceramics teacher who was prior military, actually knew the head of the museum. And so they actually got to sit in the cockpit for two nights just wow. just trying to see if there was anything in there. But other stories happened that people say they'll see the landing gear lights on. And again, it has no electronics. Yeah, it has no electronics. Yeah. They'll see the props move, but they're locked down. Wow. Um, and so he's he's sitting in there. And uh, it's late at night, and his uh, his buddy, the ceramic teacher, is asleep. And he has this old Morse code uh, handheld device that he built himself because he was really good with Morse code. And he built it, and he had it strapped to his leg, and he had to uh, go to the bathroom. So he took it off his leg, set it down in the seat, and he walked out, walked outside to go relieve himself. And when he came back, it was gone. And he looked, he took his flashlight, he looked around, thought maybe he, had, he dropped it. Yeah. Couldn't find it anywhere, so he woke up his, his buddy and he was like, oh, sorry, I fell asleep on you. He was like, no, I'm, I'm good with that, it's not a problem, but uh, I can't find my Morse code device. And he's like, well, I didn't move it, I didn't touch it. And like, hmm. So they both start looking around the cockpit, and then all of a sudden in the back of the fuselage, they hear this muffled Morse code going off. And he's like, oh, wait, hear that? Like, yeah. And he's listening and it does it it repeats itself three different times. Wow. The same thing. And he's looking. It's like, okay. And the ceramic teacher's like, what did it say? It said it spelled out snafu. S N F U and come to find out the the B twenty nine that's there now is made up of three different aircraft. Yeah. You have the fuselage from the Raisin Hell. Uh, the tail section from another aircraft and the wings from another aircraft all built together. And it just so happened that Snafu was the wing, the tail section in the back. Oh, wow. Yeah. So it, it, it was really freaking them out. And they're like, oh, that's pretty cool. And then there's other stories about how, and I, I actually found a uh, an article on this website that a local news company had did an article on this B-29. If you want to go ahead, I'll uh, cue that one up and we can play that. You can find it on YouTube as well under um, the uh, Air uh, Something is Spooky at Castle Air Museum. So you can find that at uh, on there. We'll so, put all that in the show notes. Too. Yeah, we'll put those in the show notes. So let me there go. are 55 planes at Castle Air Museum in Atwater. What separates a Boeing B-29 from the rest is some say... It's haunted. It's a plane with an attitude. Maybe that's why it's called Raisin Hell. This warbird that dates back to World War II has been part of the Castle Air Museum in Atwater since 1981. Museum CEO Joe Pruzzo says over the years, employees and volunteers have witnessed paranormal experiences in and around the B-29. An image in the plexiglass or items that have been left uh, locked in a, in a toolbox inside, uh, removed from the toolbox and set out without anybody going in there. The B-29 was recovered off a weapons range and restored in Atwater. When it first arrived at the museum, military dog tags were found in the tail gunner section. The name Arthur 
was on the dog tags. I don't know the last name, but uh, so the uh, spirit has been affectionately dubbed Arthur, Arthur the ghost. The museum brought in paranormal experts to investigate. Pruzo says their explanation was perhaps Arthur was a flight engineer or crew chief and his spirit remains trapped in the plane. Joe Pruzo has never had an encounter with Arthur the ghost. He says there are incidents that can't be explained, but as far as he's concerned, it appears to be a friendly ghost. Nice to know. Yeah, I, I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah. There, when they were going through this, I thought of another story. There was actually a um, mechanic that was working inside around the cockpit area, and he asked his buddy that was there with him, hey, can you hand me a wrench? And then he felt this wrench being put into his hand, and he's like, oh, thanks, man. And he started working, and then he just happened to look up through the plexiglass, and his buddy was at another he static was, display. Yeah, he was outside the airplane. Yeah. And uh, and there was nobody else. There around. was no one else in the plane. They, wow. There's a lot of stories about that, about tools being moved. Yeah. Like when they yeah. were working on them or building them, uh, the tools move or disappear completely and can't find them. Well, wasn't there stories of windows being open on the airplane and then all of a sudden they're closed? And then, yeah, yeah, in the cockpit yeah. area. Yeah. yeah. And then people see shadowy figures all the time, like uh, visitors will report as they're walking through, they'll see shadowy figures moving in the plane and there's nobody out there. Yeah, I just I just added this to my bucket list. Yeah, yeah, that would be really neat to go. Yeah, and, out there and see if we can, you know, probably sit in there as well. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I wouldn't mind doing that one. Back to your story too is a lot of people believe that Arthur is the radio operator, since there's a lot of uh, more stuff yeah, that comes out of out of it. Right. I, I just thought that was pretty cool, especially with this guy and he, and I can't remember his name, the the one that went out there and actually got to sit in it, but he was talking about. Everything that happened with this B-29. He also talked about another um, haunted aircraft that I really didn't want to get into because it was a long story and it was already late for me last night. So I just wanted to do the B-29 and I, I, I found that it was also stationed in Okinawa. Wow. That's interesting. That's interesting. You know, speaking of the B-29, I've had the opportunity uh, on numerous occasions um the B twenty nine, if you if you know anything about aircraft, that's that is the plane that was used mm -hmm. uh, to drop the atomic bombs. The Enola Gay, yeah, yep. the Enola Gay. And I've had numerous occasions to actually go and see the real Enola Gay. It's in a museum in uh, oh wow near Washington D.C. So that's uh, pretty neat aircraft. I like the old bombers. Yeah, me too. Yeah, I, I, when I first went in the military, I was I was at a B fifty three base, so. Anyway, the bombers just yeah. tracked to me, I guess. Yeah. Resonated a little bit. But. but I also found, through my research, I actually found a picture of them uh, painting the actual... The nose uh, art? The nose art oh, wow. of Raisin Hell. Wow. So I, I want to put that up there as well. I'm also going to put this video in after post-editing, but I, I thought that was pretty cool to find that picture. That, that's pretty cool, yeah. I've got pictures of uh, our next story that we're going to get into. I've got pictures of that airplane as well. <coughs> You don't want to get into that one? Might as well. That's the only other one, isn't it? Yeah, it is. All right. We we had a um we had a we were I posted a video on Facebook a while back of some like weird activity that was happening in the back of an airliner. Mm -hmm. And one of our Facebook uh user our followers commented, Hey, you need to check out this plane. So I went down that rabbit hole and anyway, it's it's pretty cool. Um Was that that one from uh Colleen, Texas? No, this is um is about a C-141. Okay. And I don't think it's from Colleen. I may be wrong. Well, I'm not sure because I remember another Facebook user had messaged us and said there was, I believe, talking about the same C-141. Okay. So, yeah, it would, when two people, I was like, wow, that's pretty cool because when you said C-141, I was like, really? That's wow. a, I mean, maybe it was. I, I don't know. I apologize. No. I'm, I'm... But so there was a, a pilot of this particular C-141. It's uh, it's called Balls 19, and I'll kind of get into that here in just a little bit. But what I thought I would do is I, I, I tried to figure out how I was going to word this, and I think I'm just going to read it from his story that he posted. It, it, because it, it's it, too good. Yeah, it's, it's, I, yeah, it's too I've, good. I've read it, too. It's just really too good. And but, if you get tired, we can 
past the buck. You know? Already. All right. So, so it, it comes from ghostvillage.com. It's this, this article back from like 2004, and the user was Earth Spirit, who was a, an actual C-141 pilot from back in the day. Of course, they've all been decommissioned now, uh, unfortunately, that I know of. Anyway. Yeah. Actually, uh, a C-141 is the only aircraft, and I'm not an age, I'm not a crew chief by trade, but that is the only aircraft that I've ever worked on. Oh, wow. As an age troop. And I, I really don't want to, you know, take away from this. But I just thought that was interesting. That's the only aircraft I've ever worked on. So the C-141 is pretty much my favorite aircraft. Yeah, I like the 141. That was. But when you one. when you have to change the brakes and try and get over that fifth stator, and I know everyone, I'm talking Greek right now, that's a pain in the butt with only three individuals, let me tell you. <laughs> <laughs> the um, And if you've ever seen a C-141, I'll kind of explain this just a little bit, but it's a really long, skinny plane. It, it's kind of like a, a C-130 only has a longer body. And then it's got a uh, a T-tail like the mm-hmm. C-5 does, yeah. C-17 does, um, which is you know looks like a T when it's up in the air. But um, So he goes on to say, the U.S. aircraft... U.S. Air Force aircraft have traditionally been identified by what's known as a tail number, a unique number that starts with the last digit of the year manufacturer, and a four-digit serial number. So when a particular group of Lockheed C-141 Starlifters that were all built in 67 started to experience a string of what some called bad luck, the rumor started to fly. The group in question was several C-141s that had serial numbers, all starting with, all starting with double zeros or balls as the maintenance troops crudely referred to them. I've already heard a few of the stories before arriving at McGuire Air Force Base, New Jersey, back in 79, but I dismissed them as coincidences. Accidents were going to happen, and just because they seemed to happen to a certain group of airplanes was more likely a matter of random chance than any, anything sinister. One aircraft, 67-0007, had suffered major damage after an auxiliary power unit caught fire on a marine base in Southern California, and at least one more of these planes has sustained extensive damage after a brake overheated and started a fire, an extremely rare occurrence for a 141. Once again, I chalked it up to coincidence. The craziest story I heard, though, was that of a crew chief that had been killed in a maintenance accident in the T-tail of a 67 of 67019. The T-tail is what the tail section was always called, and one of the many jobs of a crew chief was to climb a ladder built into the structure of the tail to grease a screw jack of the pitch trim actuator and electrohydraulic unit that the pilot adjusted to help maintain a level altitude attitude or to make minor adjustments to the pitch of the aircraft caused by weight shifts in flight. And and just to let people know, pitch is the up and down movement of the elevator. The, um, the screw jack was located in a compartment at the top of the T-tail and would extend and retract depending on input from the pilot. Because of the size of the compartment and the screw jack's location, the crew chief had to literally squeeze into the compartment, lie on top of the actuator, and then reach around a bulkhead to apply, gr- to apply grease to the screw jack. If this sounds potentially dangerous, it's because it is. Mm. The procedure for lubricating the screw jack required two people, one to perform the lube and another to sit in the flight station and monitor the controls. Hydraulic pressure was removed from the aircraft and the circuit breakers for the pitch trim actuator were opened and a tag was placed in the pilot's yoke to advise everyone that the controls were not to be moved because maintenance was being done on the pitch trim actuator. But GIs can be lazy too and they often take shortcuts when time is critical or they're shorthanded. So our story begins. Legend has it that the crew chief on 67019 was pre-flighting his aircraft and had fallen behind schedule. There were still several items on his checklist that needed to be accomplished, and no one was available to help. He'd just have to get motivated and be creative if he was going to have to have the plane ready by the time the crew arrived. He knew the screw jack actuator had to be greased, but his partner was off taking a break somewhere. No problem. He could climb up in the T-tail, hit the screw jack with some grease, and get the heck out of there in a matter of seconds. He had done it plenty of times before. Only this time his luck ran out. The assistant crew chief came back from his break and wondered where everyone had gone. After all, there was a pre-flight inspection that had to be done and no time to waste. Hydraulic pumps on, pressure's good. Let's see if the pitch is working okay. The sound of the number three hydraulic system pumps coming on was probably the last thing the crew chief and the T-tail heard. That and the sound of the pitch trim actually actuator rotating. It happened so quickly that he didn't have time to react. The screw jack caught him square in the chest and pinned him against the top of the bulkhead of the compartment. Death most likely occurred in a matter of seconds. The life force crushed out of him. It was a lonely place to die. Wow. 
That's that's a way to go. That reminds me of another uh, shortcut that we teach our students about a um, the the spoilers on a C seventeen, and uh, someone was doing maintenance on the actuator, and you can hear all of them. There's audio, and you can hear them taking the shortcuts, saying that you're supposed to put this there, but they didn't do that. And he was trying to train them and. Someone got in the spoiler section on that C-17, and the hydraulics actuators closed on them and crushed wow. them. Yeah. That's nuts. Yeah, and I've worked uh, doing aircraft maintenance. I've had to climb in some of those small holes and compartments, and it gets pretty tight and pretty scary in there. I so bet. I can only imagine uh, what this poor person felt. Yeah, exactly. Over the next two weeks, several pilots noticed that the pitch trim was a bit sluggish on the aircraft, but it was nothing to be concerned about. It wasn't until Balls 19 arrived back at McGuire two weeks later and the assistant crew chief went up in the T-tail to perform a post-flight inspection that the whole truth was known. He had been told by the crew chief that he had gone, he had been told the crew chief had gone AWOL, but now he knew the real story. His partner's lifeless body had been flying in the tail section of the aircraft for the last two weeks. Wow. The usual investigation into the crew chief's death was conducted, and it was determined that haste and prop improper training were contributing factors. Mechanics and aircrew members alike were given additional training and checking to make sure the T-tail was clear before applying hydraulic pressure became an emphasis item at every, every safety briefing. But as in most cases like this, life goes on, and the death of the crew chief became an obscure footnote in the history of the base until something odd happened. Is this where it starts getting... Animal yeah, stuff yeah. Now. here's where it starts getting crazy. Because that, I, I still can't get over that. And then I, I tell my students, do not take shortcuts. Follow that technical order. Otherwise, people will die. Oh, yeah. There's a reason the technical order is there. Exactly. exactly. You're yeah. supposed to follow it. Do not take shortcuts, people. Some people think that they're mundane. Because if anybody's ever seen one, it may literally tell you to turn a screw three turns. You know, it's it's they're very exact on what they, they tell say. you step by step what you're supposed to do. Do not take shortcuts. Uh, that's just my high, you know. Um, keep going. <laughs> the entrance to the T-tail is in the base of the vertical stabilizer and sits in an unpressurized area of the aircraft. Once the clamshell doors and the loading ramp are closed and locked, the final step to sit in the cargo compartment is to lower the pressure door. The pressure door measures 10 foot by 7 foot and is made of reinforced aluminum alloy to prevent the huge door from crumpling like a beer can under the intense pressure in the aircraft during pressurized flight. At a cruising altitude of 35,000 feet, the temperature on a standard day is minus 57 degrees Celsius, and oxygen is almost non-existent. Mm. No one could survive outside of the pressurized cabin for more than a few minutes without supplemental oxygen and Arctic weight clothing. That was exactly what was on the minds of the crew members that were flying the plane one day when the scanner, the second flight engineer, went down to inspect the cargo compartment after takeoff. So far, the flight had been uneventful, but that was soon to change. The scanner did a quick check of the latches at the base of the door and was checking the safety links to make sure there was no tension on them when suddenly he heard something. Now, the cargo compartment of a C-141 isn't exactly quiet, so you'd normally be wearing some sign of hearing protection to muffle the sound. (laughs) But even wearing a headset, the scanner could hear he heard someone knocking on the pressure door from the outside of the unpressurized area. The aircraft commander was notified. The aircraft was immediately returned to base for fear that the crew chief had been trapped in the T-tail when the doors were closed. Every minute counted, so an emergency descent was made to below 10,000 feet, and the aircraft landed soon after. The fire department and an ambulance met the aircraft at the end of the runway, and the cargo doors were open at the end of the runway. Everyone expected to find the crew chief dead or half frozen as the doors were open, but there was nothing. A search of the T-tail revealed nothing as well. Finally, the aircraft was cleared for departure and made an uneventful takeoff. So who or what was behind the pressure door? By the time the knocking was heard on the pressure door, the average person would have been unconscious or even dead. But what if the person doing the knocking was already dead? So the story of Balls 19 and its Phantom crew chief soon spread throughout the military aircraft command. It wasn't long after I at McGuire Air Force Base that I flew my first mission and naturally the instructor, flight engineer I was flying with had to fill me in on the details about Balls 19. It sounded like an interesting story, the kind that GIs like to tell when they get bored, 
but it sounded a little far-fetched to me. I had to agree with one thing, though, and that was that Balls 19 was one smooth flying machine. Other than periodic maintenance, it was rarely in the hangar, and, and a close look at the Aftoform 781 maintenance record showed that it had only a few problems. That might not sound like much, but the rest of the C-141 fleet at the time was almost 20 years old and was starting to show signs of deterioration. Of course, I had to repeat the story of Balls 19 to all my students once I became an instructor. Everyone got a good laugh out of it, that is, until I told the story to a student of mine who had been a C-141 crew chief there at McGuire. For the record, his name was Tech Sergeant Billy Roy, and when I started to tell him the story, he said he had already heard it and would like to hear more. I was all ears at this point. Billy had been on the flight line one night before his crew chief came roaming up to his truck, wanting to know if anyone was available to go out to the trim pad, a spot designated to do engine runs. It was obviously that the man was more than a little agitated, so Billy offered to go with him. On the way over, the flight, the flight chief explained what had happened. He had been making the rounds, checking on the status of all aircraft and the flight's flying schedule that night when he noticed Balls 19 out on the trim pad. It was grounded for periodic maintenance and was, wasn't on the schedule that night. So why was electrical power on the aircraft? No one su was supposed to be working on the plane, and there was no need to have all the lights on or the power cart running. The flight chief stepped out of the truck and was walking up to the aircraft when he noticed something odd. There was no power cart running. So how was it the lights were all on? Sticking his head in the crew entrance door, the befuddled flight chief shone his flashlight down the length of the aircraft interior and hollered out asking if anyone was there. Nobody replied. The cargo door compo compartment was empty except for a B-4 maintenance stand that had been winched up into the aircraft for use by the life support crews. After a certain period of time, life rafts on a C-141 are removed from the aircraft and inspected to ensure they are still serviceable. Since a 25-person lifecraft weighs quite a bit, it was common for the maintenance crews to winch a maintenance stand onto the aircraft and then use the stand to raise the life raft up to the overhead silo where it was stored. On this particular night, the life rafts had been installed and the maintenance stand was left in the back of the aircraft, waiting to be pushed off the aircraft and taken to the storage yard. What the, flight crew, what the flight chief saw next caused him to take off like a bat out of hell. As he shone his flashlight into the cargo compartment, he heard a noise. There in the beam of his light was a 200-pound maintenance stand jumping up and down, doing a spastic dance, and there was no one touching it. The, he's saying the B-4 stand was doing that? Yes. Yeah. That weighs more than 200 pounds, I will tell you that for a fact. Yeah. Yeah, so it was, uh, no one was touching it. At that point, the flight chief, he could have cared less about what lights <laughs> were on when there was no power. He just wanted to get the hell out of there. But the time he returned with a witness, the lights were out and all was quiet. Maybe he'd been imagining things, or perhaps a phantom crew chief of Balls 19 had completed his phantom pre-flight. Now, Balls 19 was a good, one good aero machine, but on one occasion I discovered that its Phantom chief, Crew Chief was still trying to find his way to the light and wouldn't hesitate to make his presence known. We were flying what was commonly known as a spaghetti run, where we flew support missions for the U.S. Navy in the Mediterranean. The first day of the mission was a long one. Starting in New Jersey, going through NSA Fort Northfolk, Virginia, and finally ending 14 hours later at U.S. Navy Base in Rota, Spain. Despite the long leg across the Atlantic, it was normally an uneventful trip that I'd made many a time before, 
But the fact that I was flying balls 19 made me worry even less. So I started to sweat a little when the number two hydraulic system pressure began to fluctuate on a descent into Rhoda. And it really got hairy when the low pressure lights started flashing on the landing gear as the landing gear went down. By now, the aircraft commander had directed me to shut the engine hydraulic valves on number one and number two engines, and the scanner went down to manually lock the landing gear in place. There was still hydraulic pressure from the primary flight controls from the number one hydraulic system, but pitch trim was now limited to a slower electrical pitch trim. We declared an emergency and made a direct approach to Rota at that point. The landing was uneventful, uneventful, and we taxied into our parking space in front of the base ops a few minutes after landing. As soon as the engines were shut down, both the scanner and I started walking around the aircraft looking for any signs of hydraulic fluid leakage since none had been visible in the cargo compartment or when the landing gear was scanned in flight. Nothing was visible in the light of a pale Spanish moon, but when we shone our flashlights up onto the T-tail, it was soon obvious why we had lost hydraulic pressure. There, were, there, just below the hydraulic stabilizer, was a blood-red trail of hydraulic fluid flowing from the area of the pitch-trim actuator where the crew chief had been crushed to death. It was apparently that the phantom crew chief of Balls 19 was still with us, still very angry. Since posting these tales, I came across some new information about other Balls series aircraft that experienced that experienced accidents. 6-7, Balls 08, 28 August 76. A Thunder Astronom Air Base Greenland landed during windy conditions, landed long and bounced. The crew tried to recover, but it sequentially cart, cartwheeled and crashed in a fireball. A navigator and three passengers survived the crash. Another aircraft, 6-7, Balls 06, the same day, balls eight, twenty-eight August nineteen seventy, August at uh, twenty-eight August seventy-six, Petersboro, UK. Severe thunderstorms ripped an engine off the wing, and the rest of the aircraft disintegrated. No survivors. Sixty-seven balls. 03, 12 November nineteen eighty, near Cairo, Egypt. Descended fast and crashed while approaching Cairo West Airport. No survivors. I also found a cryptic reference to six seven. 0017 being written off by the Air Force. I'm still researching that one. Also, I have a little tale to tell about Ball 6 when I get a chance. As for the rest of my story, I arrived at the 18th Airlift Squadron at McGuire Air Force Base, New Jersey in 1979. And there were still quite a few people there who had known the crew members of Ball 6. I had heard of bits and pieces of the story and how the plane had inadvertently flown on a path of a thunderstorm on final approach to RAF Alcaburi. Yes, RAF Alcaburi, home of the hard stand monster. And I mentioned something about it one time to Senior Master Sergeant Harry M., our Assistant Chief Flight Engineer. Harry looked at me and seeing the chance to tell a story, he started to talk. Bob, not his real name, was one of the flight engineers who died in the crash of Ball 6 and a friend of Harry's. That made it all much more difficult when Harry was asked to go to Bob's apartment and retrieve the, his personal effects for the family. Now, Harry had been to Bob's apartment several times for an occasional beer, and he knew that Bob was a tidy sort. So it struck him as rather odd when he walked into the apartment to see that, despite the fact that Bob was a neat freak, there was what appeared to be something broken laying on the floor in the front of the fireplace. Now just, above, now just about anyone who ever flown a C-141 has a model of one sitting nearby. Mine's next to my computer. The guys who flew the West Coast usually got the wooden ones in the Philippines, and the East Coast guys usually got the plastic ones at the gift shop of the Lockheed plant in Georgia. It was rare to see a C-141 crew member who didn't have one. Now, Harry knew that Bob had one on his mantelpiece, so after he saw the crash on the floor, he looked up and the mantel and saw the C-141 model was gone. A closer look revealed that the crumbled heap on the floor was Bob's C-141 model. It was lying on its left side, and the left wing was almost broken completely off and bent at a right angle. Harry thought that was quite odd that Bob hadn't picked up the pieces before he left on what was to be his final mission. 
He didn't have a roommate or any pets either, so it would had to have happened just before Bob walked out the door. Maybe he was in a hurry and had expected to pick the mess up on his return. Even still, the hair on the back of Harry's neck stood straight up when he saw the remains of the model lying on the floor. If that wasn't enough, a few days later, some of the photos from the crash site were released on to the squadron. And being the assistant chief flight engineer, Harry was asked to look at them. He almost dropped the envelope as he pulled out the first picture. There were the remains of once of had once been ball six. It was burrowed into a farmer's field on the impact, and there it was, lying on its left side, the left wing almost broken off and bent at a right angle, the exact same position as the model Harry had found on the floor on Bob's fireplace. Also, I wanted to point out that many times I saw the loadmasters on Bob, Balls 19 leaving the loading lights on a night in flight like you see in the picture. There's no reason to have those lights on after a takeoff, and yet the loadmasters will tell you it was so they could monitor the status of the pressure door. Horse hockey. I knew it was because they were afraid to be in the dark cargo compartment on the aircraft that was rumored to be haunted. They wanted to be able to see that door at all times. Pretty cool. That that about ball six went that model aircraft. Yeah, my hair started standing <laughs> up as I'm telling this. I'm like, oh man. Maybe Bob <laughs> trashed his apartment because he was mad that he crashed and just left a sign that he was there. That's that 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 was pretty good. I, I enjoyed reading that, yeah, that, that end was, part. That was really good. That that was an end, an ending. That was quite an ending right there. So what do you think? Do you think that the crew, the uh, the maintenance guy, the flight chief, the crew chief? Yeah. Do you think he's in there? Oh, I, heck yeah! That that was one way to go and to be there for two weeks without anyone knowing and being accused of being a wall. Yeah. You know, and if it happened in seconds, there's a lot of trauma and stuff that happened. Right. Right there. So it's, I think it's possible. Well, yeah. the other thing is it's the trim, because it's a trim control. That thing does not move fast. That thing goes slow. So to pin him there and it's slowly crushing him, that. Yeah, I can't even imagine. Oh, wow. And that's the thing about trim. Trim is basically to make sure that the aircraft flies straight and true so the pilot doesn't have to, you know, like when you take your hands off the wheel and and you go, your car's supposed to go straight, but sometimes it drifts. Same thing happens in the aircraft. When you take your hand off the yoke or the stick, it's supposed to fly straight and true, but because of the winds up there, they can adjust the trim of the elevator or the aileron or the rudder to make it fly straight and true. And if it's on that stabilizer right there in that tail section, that that moves slowly. And it even said in there that they had to do the electronic one is even worse. The electronic one goes slower than the hydraulic one, but it's still a slow process. And to have that pinned up against you, that jack screw, just, I, I, I can't imagine. It was violent for sure. Oh, yeah. definitely. So, yeah. yeah, I guarantee you he was quite upset. Yeah. Do you have any more haunted airplane stories? There's a bunch out there. There's oh, there, there's websites. a bunch out there. Yeah. But I'll put a website that's in the show notes, and it just goes through and talks about all these different aircraft that have an accident, an incident that happened. So it's pretty neat. But um, I thought that the 141 was was pretty good. Well, that 141 yeah. was pretty good. I yeah. mean, I thought the B29 was good with the stories that we had, but that ending, it, yeah. I wanted to get with our Facebook follower, and I think if I'm not mistaken, he said that he had a story from that aircraft, and then he put that on there. So I wanted to get with him to try to see what his. I'm talking about Jay Ryzen. Riser, Riser, Jay yeah, Riser, Jay yes. Riser. Um, I wanted to see if he had any stories from that particular aircraft. Well, yeah, maybe on our next podcast we can see if we can't either record one or get him live. Have him call in, yeah, yeah, have him call in, do a live one because mm-hmm. uh, I did a um, webinar with uh, Podbean last week, and they gave me some good tips on how to do a live podcast and. Oh, nice! It showed me all the functions that it can do and all the bugs they worked out. Yeah. It was it was a good webinar, so I'm I'm looking forward to doing a live investigation again. Have people call in, okay. or live podcast? podcast. There you go. Not a live investigation. I mean, yeah, yeah. Last time we did a live investigation, <laughs> last what nine, 
Nine hours. Nine hours yeah. doing that one, and we're yeah. still reviewing, but we should have something done by next weekend. Yeah. I plan to go up there for um, Kevin's retirement. He's actually getting out of the retirement. Yeah. Going to join us <laughs> doing yeah. the retirement. But he said he's going to stay up there in Kansas. So. Well, good for him. Yeah. Good for him. Well, all righty. We yeah. can wrap this I, uh, podcast up. Yeah, so I can. I am excited about our next one. I actually did a whole lot of studying on the, the gin stuff after our interview with, with Al mm-hmm. and um, kind of went into that. So anyway, kind of some of them might not what? be as exciting as you want, but it kind of gives you the real yeah. version of what where it comes from. True, and going through my research on my computer, I'm, I'm cleaning up my desktop because... You, you know how my desktop oh, is. Oh, yeah. 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 So I'm cleaning up, moving the stuff around, and I actually found an old file, and I don't know why I have this, on a gin. Oh, wow. I have no clue why I have that, but apparently I was looking into gin long time ago yeah. and, wow. and never never realized it. So I'm wow. going gonna to have that in the, the research. So... What, what about you? You doing anything on, with the gin? I, I haven't really even gotten into it yet, but I plan on doing quite a bit of research. It's a, I found a, a book um, that was written where basically an elder in the, in the uh, Muslim faith had written a, a book about how right. explaining the gin, and then it was translated over. And so anyway, he kind of goes through and talks about that, which is where, you know, of course, the gin originated from. Right. So, Anyway, I was pretty excited to kind of get into some of that and kind of have some discussion with you guys. Okay, so, yeah, right. I'm looking forward to that because yeah. I'm, I'm hearing two different things of what a gin can be. So, <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of different deals, and and what I got again is it was a, it originated, you know, in the Muslim faith. But anyway, it, mm, yeah, so yep, it. I got the what I got is the background. So okay, and then I got stories. Same okay, as you, so, but all right. I, I'm, to, I'm I can't forward. wait to get into some banter. With Oh, uh, uh, yeah, because nothing nothing bad about Al and stuff, but I I really enjoyed how he was tying that in, but there's some stuff out there I just, I wish he would come back on the show, because I want to, I'm, I'm, I'm sure he would, Yeah, I'm sure he would, but I want to, I want to, you know, kind of go a different route with the gin. And, I, and I, I, I think you and I might be on the same page. Okay. Yeah. All right. Okay. Sounds interesting. I'm uh, I'm excited for this one. Yeah. So I'd like to thank all our listeners mm-hmm. out there um, that have taken the time to listen to our podcast. You can find us at uh, www. I said it right that time. <laughs> militaryparanormal.com. You can find us on uh, YouTube and Facebook. Just look for Military Paranormal. You can also call in at 1-800-437-4MPI. It's four six seven four. I don't think it's an eight hundred number though. No, 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 no neither. It's not. It's not. Oh, I messed uh, that up. Yeah, man. you did. I'll have to look. We'll have to fix that on the show. Actually, <laughs> I have it. Oh, do you? You actually have it? What it is? I wanted to say it was nine four zero. No, it is a nine four zero number. Is it? Yeah, it's a nine four zero. I don't know why I said that. And actually, I don't have it. <laughs> it's it's on Facebook. But yeah, you can find it, it on Facebook and and definitely uh, call us up. Um, you can also find us on YouTube, Twitter, Instagram. Yeah, Instagram. We're starting to get a quite a few. Yeah, I know that everyone's liking how we went on that in little uh, recon last weekend. Yeah, and I, I think we need to hit another one up. I heard I heard uh, another thing, so maybe we can hit something up tonight. Okay, on our way home. That'll work. All righty. It's actually 940 437 4 MPI. There you go. I don't. It'd be <laughs> nice if we had an 800 number. Yeah. It would be. Maybe down the road we'll get an 800 number. But if you call into that, you can leave us a story. You can leave us a message. Yeah. It will get to us and we can, uh, we can get back to you. And if you don't feel like calling in, you can go ahead and email us as well at uh, podcast at militaryparanormal.com. All right. All right. Well. Let's uh, wrap this up. Okay. And get on that new recon? Yeah. All right. So look for a post coming up. All right. Thanks. Y'all have a good one. Bye. Later. 
Thank you for listening to the MPI Paranormal Podcast. This podcast has been brought to you by Military Paranormal Investigations. Hope you all enjoyed the show. Don't forget to connect with us on Podbean, Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Until next time, the truth is to be found.